0: Judges chapter 10, beginning in verse 6 to verse 16. If you're there, would you all stand as we receive the word of God? Judges chapter 10, beginning in verse 6. Here is the word of God. The people of Israel, again, did what was evil in the sight of the Lord and served the Baals and the the Ashtoreth. The gods of Syria, the gods of Sidon, the gods of Moab, the gods of the Ammonites, and the gods of the Philistines. And they forshook the Lord and did not serve him. So the anger of the Lord was kindled against Israel. And he sold them into the hand of the Philistines and into the hand of the Ammonites. And they crushed and oppressed the people of Israel that year. For 18 years, they oppressed all the people of Israel who were beyond the Jordan in the land of Amorites, which is in Gilead. And the Ammonites crossed the Jordan to fight also against Judah, against Benjamin, against the house of Ephraim, so that Israel was severely distressed. And the people of Israel cried out to the Lord saying, We have sinned against you because we have forsaken our God and have served the Baals. And the Lord said to the people of Israel, Did I not save you from the Egyptians and from the Amorites and from the Ammonites and from the Philistines? The Sidonians also And Amalekites and Malnites uh, uh, Malnites oppressed you. And you cried out to me and I saved you out of their hand. Yet you have forsaken me and served other gods. Therefore, I will save you no more. Go and cry out to the gods whom you have chosen. Let them save you in the time of your distress. And the people of Israel said to the Lord, we have sinned do to us, whatever seems good to you. Only please deliver us this day. So they put away the foreign gods from among them and serve the Lord. And he became impatient over the misery of Israel. Amen. God, we open our hearts against your word. We need your word because we are your people. So God, be gracious to us. Enlighten us. Teach us. Help us to understand who you are. Help us to understand your ways. Help us to compare our ways, our hearts against the heart that we need to truly have according to your word. So God, would you teach us, speak to us, help us, help your servant, fill your servant with your spirit and help him to speak your truth and your truth alone and let your people truly receive it. God, we thank you and we seek you in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. So this morning we're on chapter 10. And up to this point, if you um, paid attention, if you go back and if you were counting up to this point uh, in past nine chapters, we have seen seven rebellion from the children of God, seven intentional, willful rebellion from the Israelites. And therefore, we also have seen seven punishments from God. God sent seven different oppressors over the children of Israel to punish them. So we have seen seven rebellion, seven oppressions, and then we also have seen seven judges, seven deliverers who was ra, who were raised by God in order to rescue God's Children to restore them. This is a very clear pattern in the book of Judges. This is repeated throughout this book. And what that is, is consistently this. We have seen consistent and complete unfaithfulness from the people of God. You have seen complete other consistent, unfaithful hearts from the people of God. And you also have witnessed this steadfast faithfulness, complete, utter grace from the God of Israel. You also have seen that. And this is a pattern. Here in verse 6, familiar sentence. Israel once again did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. No surprise here. No surprise here. I know as harsh as it might sound, it doesn't surprise us, right? They once again did evil in the sight of the Lord. We have seen this pattern take place. They sinned again. But this time, the eighth time, who's counting now? Eighth times, it is described, it is particularly different, noticeably different compared to the previous times. What's different about this time? Well, this time, Israelites were not satisfied with one particular guy, of one particular nation or people group. But this time, there are... Equal opportunities. uh, uh, They do not discriminate. What I mean by that is. As you can see. They have expended their idolatrous false worship. To include every God. In the land that they live. Of course. Except one God. They worship. They serve every God. Of the people. People group that they have. In their land. Except. They're the Lord, their God. They worshiped and served all the gods of the land. They went all out. They were not afraid. They should be afraid, but they're not afraid. They're not ashamed. They should be ashamed of this, but they're not ashamed. They're not hindered in any way. Because you, as you see, this is just all-out rebellion. Not just one, but every God that they could find except their Lord. And in verse 6, to emphasize this very point, the writer lists all the gods, all the people group. He says, gods of this land, of this group, this people. He could have just simply said, Israelites worship and serve all the gods of the land. That will be sufficient enough, but he will take his time to name every group, every nation. As I said, what does this mean? It means a complete rebellion, and it is utter, complete rebellion. This is nothing like previous seven times. And they have done this willfully, intentionally. Knowing. Folks, it's not that Israelites are not spiritual. They're not religious. It's not that, uh, uh, they don't want to serve and worship faithfully. They do these things faithfully. They are religious. They are spiritual. It's just that their spirituality, their religious practice, their worship and service, were done to everything except their God. They serve and worship every other God except one true living God of Israel. This God who led them. This God who made a covenant with them. This God who saved them. This God who provided for them, and protected for them, blessed them in every way. They have completely, utterly forsaken the Lord. This is complete, utter rejection to the Lord. Now, what's also interesting about this is this, the listing of all these people group. If you remember chapter 1, there is a summary of the conquest that is somewhat of a summary of Joshua. What had taken place. The complete conquest. And in the chapter 1, these are the very group of people that God has commanded Israelites to what? Wipe out. These are the very people that God had commanded Israel to drive out. But what happened? They chose not to do this. This is not they failed to do this. It is not they, they have tried and they failed. No. They chose not to complete this task. They disobey God's command. And this is the consequence that the people of Israel had to face because they have failed to obey God's command to drive out these people from the very land that God has given in order to, in order to wipe out sin, in order to remove any future temptation for them to sin while they live in the promised land. And that was the whole intention from God. If you remember in chapter two, they sobbed, they cried when God spoke to them and they said, You did not do this. You disobeyed me. So, what's going to happen? God said to Israel, these people, these very people that you have chosen not to drive out, these people will become thorns on your side, will be pain on your side. And their gods will become what? Their gods will become a snare. In other words, trap. For you to sin in coming days. And here we are. Here we are witnessing the very consequence. We are seeing this destructive generational consequence of their disobedience. It is destructive. It is generational. When the the forefathers earlier, generations ago... When they disobey, they just disobey. It was convenient and co- such a good compromise for them to make. But what happens as the generation comes down? It its destructive consequences remains and still entangles them, tempts them, and and snares them because they disobey. God's word. And the trend. Continues. Not the father's generation. But the next generation. And next generation. And the generations to come. And this is scary thing. As we can see. What's really scary about this. Is once they began. To disobey God's word. Once they overlook the truth of God, what happens? It became easy. It becomes easy for you to disobey. It becomes casual for you to disregard God's command, His ways. And they begin to follow their own hearts. They begin to follow what seems good. We say it all the time, this phrase, follow your heart, follow your heart, follow your dream. And I tell you, that is such a encouraging phrase. But at the same time, that is such a a dangerous concept. You have to understand how dangerous it would be for you to follow your heart if. If something, someone other than God himself, the Lord Jesus himself is in possession of your heart, this concept is the most dangerous and destructive thing for you to do. For you to live by. Follow your heart. Follow your dreams. Because look at Israelites. They were following their hearts. They're following their hearts. What seems good to their heart seems right for their heart. They were following this instead of following God and his word. So obviously, as they do something other than God, something not of God, but of this world, have captivated their hearts, thus controlling their lives, influencing their decision in life. Follow your heart. You can follow your heart if the Lord Jesus is the one fully in control and fully resides and the heart is filled with the spirit of God. Follow your heart. But if that heart, your heart, my heart is not filled and controlled by the God himself and things of God, it is not encouraging. It is not biblical. It will only lead you to further suffering. And I tell you, this scares me. This scares me. As I look at this, prepare for this, it scares me. Israel's utter unfaithfulness scares me. Their stiff neck scares me. Their hardened heart scares me how they rejected the one true living God even after receiving and experiencing His miraculous love and grace for not once but numerous times in their lifetime and yet they choose to forsake and reject the Lord. It scares me. It scares me because they were chosen. They were saved. They were labeled as the people of God. God declared them to be the people of God. They were the holy nation. Yet they willing, they were willingly, intentionally disobeyed God. They gave their hearts away to meaningless, lifeless, powerless idols of the land. And it scares me to see it. It scares me because I am also capable to do the very thing that the Israelites are doing. It scares me because I am also chosen. It scares me because I am saved, placed squarely in Jesus Christ. I am His and He is mine. Just like the Israelites. But I too can harden my heart. I too can give my heart away to the things of this land. And I would let those things come into my heart and control my life, influence my decisions. It can also happen to me and it scares me. This is not just their story, is it? What a, what a surprise we say to see them do evil against the eyes of the Lord it scares me. And if you are like me, if you recognize how easy it is for us to behave and live like the Israelites, then we have to be really humble before the Lord. We got to humble ourselves and we have to fill our hearts with the things of God, with the word of God. We have to ask the Lord to fill us with your spirit. Then and only then you can follow your heart. Amen. Otherwise, what they are doing, willingly, knowingly, is the very thing that you and I are capable of. Don't, don't mistake me about salvation, about the, the work that God has done to deliver you, move you out of darkness into this marvelous light. God has done that to Israel. And He has done that for us. But what you do with that heart, that life, it's up to you. Look at this. 45 years of peace and prosperity. And after those two judges previously in chapter 10, they immediately turned to every God of the land and they forshook the Lord, it says in verse 6. So what happened to the Lord? He became angry. So he sold them into the hands of the people. And what's ironic is, what, whoever they were worshipping and serving, that particular idol that belonged to that particular nation, that a- nation, that very nation ended up doing what? Oppressive ways on the Israel. And this time, because they worshipped so many gods of the land, it's not one nation. It's not one people group oppressing them. They were oppressed by the Emonites. And Philistines, and Philistines are coalition of different people group. So multiple people group, multiple nations were on them. Why? Because God sold them. So the Israelites in the hand of their, their oppressors. Once again, this is such a cold phrase, right? The loveless, careless, impassionate thing for someone to do. I, I will sell you. I sold you. And that's exactly what God has done. And this is not the first time we have seen that phrase. Judges chapter 2, Judges chapter 3, and chapter 4. God has done this. When you sell your used item, when you sell your used car, you're no longer the owner of the that particular item, that car. The new owner, that means, can do whatever... He desires to do. He could upgrade. He could just. Tear it apart. And sell it for parts. It is not up to you. It's up to the new owner. And they can do whatever. With this. Used car. You sold it. And that's the concept that God has done. When you look back. At how God sold the Israelites before. Now. This does not mean that God will completely abandon and reject his people and he will forget his promises. That's not what that means. But what this means is that he would stop protecting them. That he would not sustain them. He would no longer protect them in many different ways. Things that they noticed or ways that they didn't even occur to them. But what we do see here is this. God let the very things that they have been serving and worshiping actually begin to dominate their lives, begin to rule over their lives, begin to own their lives. And the Bible says it went on for how long? 18 years. This went on for 18 long years. And they were severely oppressed. And if they were severely oppressed, what were they doing for 18 years? I mean, why why did this take such a long time? Were they not suffering enough? It was just bearable for 18 years? No, it was not. It was so oppressive and so, uh, uh, um, it's just unbearable. Yet this also tells you how sinful, how rebellious, how disobedient they were. They will stick with their idolatrous way until, until the very day they could not hold on. They could not bear anymore. This, this is 18 long years. This, this has to tell us. The scope, the degree of their rebellion. How unfaithful they were against God. So after 18 years, finally it reaches a boiling point. Finally they come to their senses. In verse 10, they finally, it says, cried out to the Lord. Look what they have said. They said, we have sinned against you because we have forsaken our God. And we have served the bales. It's a bail of every people group. Uh, just look at that. And it's interesting if you look at this. What what stands out here is that they're not oblib- uh, uh, oblivious of they're not completely clueless, uh completely confused about what's happening in their lives for the past eighteen years is that right? Do they know what's going on? For 18 years their oppression that they experienced in the hands of their enemy, do they know exactly what caused it, what was the reason and who brought that upon these people? Do they understand this? They know. Exactly know. They know the consequence that they We're weeping right now. They know that they have sinned against God. They know that they have forsaken. Which means abandoned and rejected their Lord. And they've done so completely this time. And they know because. They know they have served. They have served, worshipped other gods. Out of this you know. They know what they have done. It is not something cluelessly confused about what God has said to them, what God wanted out of their lives to be. And this, you know, sheer mistake. This is not one of those. We have sinned against you. We have forsaken you. We have served the Baals. You know what this sounds like? What the people sound like? I don't know. For me, this does not sound like a sincere apology. This does not sound like just true, truthful, heartfelt repentance. Just, they're just stating the fact. They sound like they're somewhat of entitled adolescent, who just finally came, who just come because there is no other way, and they just expect, if they come and they say the line, they expect God to do something for them. Here, salvation. They know God has saved them time after time again. They know if they come and admit this, God will come and save them. They experience this. So once again, they come and state the fact. We have sinned against you. We have forsaken you. And we have served Baal. That's all they did, stating the fact. And they think they are going to receive. They're entitled to receive his forgiveness. How can they do this over and over again? And they believe and they feel that they are entitled to receive God's forgiveness. They behave like they deserve God's forgiveness. Like God, you have to forgive us. Because we said the line. Because I have prayed the prayer. What are they doing? They behave like they deserve God's forgiveness. And they do this. This utter nonsense. Because they have been minimizing. The seriousness of their sin. Their sin is not just serious anymore. Folks how do you minim- Minimize. Sin. How do you minimize sin? Well, you minimize your sin by redefining sin in your own ways. You redefine sin so that this particular sin becomes easier for you to swallow, palatable for you. It becomes tolerable for you. You, you see, sometimes people believe that the cause of our brokenness of in, Of this world. Cause of this Russia, Ukraine. Cause of Israel, Hamas. Cause of many Palestine dying. This brokenness in our nation. This uh, polarization. And this bickering that happens. Especially approaching the election years. This brokenness of the world. We believe it's caused by our bad thinking. We believe it is bad parenting bad culture, bad experiences, bad schools, bad governments, even bad movies, bad music, bad video games are the cause of our brokenness. You know what we're doing? We're minimizing the sin. Because the problem with this world are not derived from these bad things that you see. The cause, the source of this brokenness It's not the bad things. It's the bad people. With their rebellious hearts. We are the cause. Because we are bad. Because we have created this ranking system in our lone lives. And we say this sin is bad. And this sin is not. We have created this ranking system of our sin in our mind. So that you and I can convince ourselves that we're not so bad. We're not that bad. And if something bad, something terrible happens, it's, it's someone else's fault. It's the world's fault, not me. And you tell yourself you're not that bad. But I want you to know whether you have created a ranking system and this particular sin is not so bad. I tell you that not so bad sin, for that Jesus died on that cross. Even for that, Jesus had to die on that cross. Don't minimize your sin. Sin is sin. But that's exactly what Israelites are doing. I have sinned against you. We rejected you. We have served Baal. Expecting God to swoop and send his Savior once again, like previous eight times. Seven times. Look at verse 13 and 14. You find this crushing response from God. Verse 13, verse 14. God says to his people, I will no longer save you. I will no longer save you. Paraphrase it. I, I'm not going to save you. I'm not going to deal with you. Go. I mean, do you feel this like brokenness, the sarcastic, the the way that God is answering this? Go and cry out to the gods as you have chosen. Where are your gods? Why are you coming to me now? Let those gods save you. Let them save you from your trouble because I will save you no more. They never heard that before. God simply says, I'm done. I'm I'm not going to do anything with you. Don't come to me. Go back to your gods. Go cry out to your gods that you have chosen to serve. That you have chosen to fill your hearts with. I am done. Because I've done enough, I've, I've seen enough, I've heard enough. I have pursued you, I've been patient with you, I have protected you, I have saved you long enough. But I am done. Now, these entitled, adolescent-like Israelites, can you imagine? This is not what they expect. This is not what they expected. God says, I'm done. Now, it is scary. It is fearful. Thing for you to hear or see when God deals with you. What I mean by that, when God disciplines you in order to remove sin in your life, it is a scary thing, is it not? God's hand, disciplining hand to instruct you and correct you. It is a scary feeling, scary stage of your life. It is scary. But I tell you, the scariest thing of all is what? Is his absence. That's not scary. If God disciplines you, that's not scary. What's scary is him being absent in your life. His apathy. Him being indifferent with you. My friends, that is the scariest thing for you to experience. God says, I'm done. You know what the definition of hell is? Definition of hell. Hell is a place that is without God. Hell can be not just where down deep in there with the you know, fire, the presence of Satan, that's not hell. Hell can be right here in your life. Any relationship, any place that is absent from God, no presence of God, that is hell. The scariest thing that you can experience is the absence of God. No more presence of God. When God says enough is enough and I'm done, folks, that ought to be the scariest thing that you would ever hear. That is the scariest thing. And the scariest thing in the New Testament that I've seen, Romans one eighteen and beyond, God will let these people continue to do their sin, their lifestyle of sin, burning their desire man against Man towards man, woman towards woman, with animals, all of these things. Paul says from 18 and on to the end of the chapter, what does God do? God does not discipline. God does not chastise. God does not leave them alone. I mean, God does leave them alone so that they continue their way. That is the most scary thing. See, they never heard that line of thought. They never thought this is something that God would say to them. Israelites reply back to God in verse 15. And I, to me, they're completely different after hearing this. Their attitude in this response is completely different from verse 10. What did they say? In verse 15, they said to the Lord, we have sinned. They said that before, but watch this. Do to us whatever seems good to you. Do to us whatever seems good to you. Only please deliver us this day. Deal with us. Deal with us as you wish. Until you are satisfied with your anger, with your wrath, punish us. We will suffer because we have sinned. We do not deserve your love. We do not deserve your forgiveness. We don't deserve your deliverance. But we need you. But we need you. We need your grace. We need your mercy. You are the only one who can deliver us. They know this after 18 long years. And when God says, no. Run back to your gods. Why you come to me? It shows a change of heart. Earlier, they just wanted to say the line and get out of trouble. They used that verse 10 like a get out of jail car when you play Monopoly. Like just say the line, you're out. Before they were just simply focus on their miserable situation and they were looking forward to the relief that God will provide. And that's why they set the line. But now, what they're doing is they're truly admitting that God, you are under no obligation to forgive us and save us immediately. Save us after your wrath is completely satisfied. Do to us whatever that we deserve punish us. We will suffer. We just need your grace. We need you. We need you. We cannot lose you. We will suffer. But we need you. And they really meant it. They meant everything they said. How do we know this? Look at verse 16. Something immensely different from verse 10 after they said this they put away the foreign gods among them and they served the lord earlier in verse 10 they said the line the you know that line that we all say after that we need god when when you need something from god that line that we normally pray God, I messed up again. God, I sinned again. I should know better. Please forgive me. This is different. This is repentance. This is true repentance. They have deep sorrow, willingness to bear the consequence of their own action. And God punish us. We would endure more suffering, but we cannot lose you. I desperately need your grace. They immediately turn. They cast away their idols. They do complete remodeling of their spiritual house. Throw everything away and they walk the other way. Instead of serving the every idol in the land, they clean the house and they serve the Lord. That is repentance. Which is completely different from earlier. Look at the second half of verse 16. Is verse 16 still up? Yeah. For me, for me, this is one of the most moving phrases in the Bible. Look at the second half. So they put away the foreign gods among them and served the Lord. And he, who is he? The Lord. The God of Israel. Who happens to be very angry and would not do anything to do with Israelites. He became what? Impatient over the misery of Israel. This is our God. I want you to know this. This is your father's heart. This is God. This is his grace. This is his love for us. Even though he have said, I'm done with you people. I will no longer save you. I am no longer your God. Go run to your gods. As soon as they turn and they repent, desperately seek after God, this God became impatient. He cannot look Overlook and leave, abandon for its sake, like the Israelites have done to their own God, his repentant people who are utterly, completely desperate for God, not for this situation, not for this immediate relief, but God himself. As they do, God cannot overlook his own Suffering children. Folks, once again, this is, this is who God is. This is God by nature. If you raise a children, you would understand this. I'm infuriated. I'm, I mean, beyond upset. Get out of my house. You don't deserve to be my son. Go and get new mom and dad. I don't, I don't need you. I know you're going to do it again. I know you don't mean anything by this because you have done this. But when that child breaks down before you, I know this happened before. But as a father, you also know that this was from the heart. This is not a lie. This is not just a way to get over and get by. But it is heartfelt. You immediately forget what you just have said. And you go embrace. I'm sorry for what I have said. Let's not have this again. If you raise a child, you understand the father's heart. You can see the glimpse of father's heart. And this, I tell you, is such a moving phrase that explains and describes Our God's heart. Your sin breaks his heart, no doubt. And your sin, repeated sin, makes him very angry. Because he is holy and he is righteous. But I also tell you, the moment you turn, the moment you reach out, the moment you turn from your old ways and you repent, you do 180 and run the other way, You desperately seek after this God and you tell him not the blessing, not the deliverance, but God himself is what you desire. And you call out to him, God cannot contain himself. God cannot contain. God cannot hold himself back. God cannot delay. He'll be like that father to the prodigal son at the moment's notice As soon as he was coming, the father knew who that person was from far away. And the father would run and embrace, cover his shame, bring forgiveness, and immediately restores him to his sonship, which he does not deserve. This is God's grace. This is his love. And this is how he forgives. Folks, do we know what we're doing when we sin? Guys, look, you've been church long enough, you know. When you do say certain things, when you say certain things, you know immediately, almost immediately, you know this was against God. This is displeasing to God. You know this was done out of your, your old nature, your, your sinful heart. You know it. You know that did not please God. Rather, you know that broke God's heart. You know it. Just like the Israelites knew what they were doing, most of the times, we know what we're doing. So when we need God, we come and we say the obvious because we already know what we have done. Folks, what we need to do is we have to look at the sin that we do, sin that we commit. We also look at the cross of Jesus Christ. Don't say the line. Don't state the obvious. Cast away. Clean it out. And turn from it. And that is true repentance. Don't just say the line to get away, get by. And that immediate relief, like how you have been using God like the Israelites have. Say the line and you'll be fine. Pray that we would, each and every day, look into our lives. And look into our hearts. The very thing that we do and say. And we will take a good look at this good father, loving father, what he has done through his son, Jesus Christ. Folks, when you are unfaithful, utterly knowing the intention, remember his utter grace, complete grace, that he can't wait to forgive you. But you have to turn. I pray that you do. I pray. I pray. That you would learn. We would learn. From this story. And repeated story that we have studied. In the book of Judges. Amen. Let's pray. God we thank you for your love. How can any one of us. Say we. We. Deserve your love. Deserve your forgiveness. We can't believe what the Israelites were continuing. Consistent. Rejecting. Abandoning. The only God. Who made them to be who they are. They were nothing. They were no one. But because of God. They became strong. They became the owners of the land that they have no right to possess. God saved them. And it was not something contractual. God saved them, blessed them because He desired to be their father, their king. And how patient, how His love endured so many heartaches. Even though multiple experience of His love and miracles, these people will continue their ways, following their own hearts, the trend of this world. So easy for them to focus on now. Focus on their comfort and convenience. But when they finally realize their ways do not work, they desperately in need of God, yet they still could not completely humble themselves. But when they did, even in your wrath, in your anger, you could not contain, you became impatient for the misery of the very people who failed you disappoint you over and over again. You see the life, the relationship we have with you. As we look into the relationship. The very life the Israelites lived. Oh God may we learn. to Not to make the same mistake. Oh God may we understand. The implication of our actions. The words that we say. Decisions we make. It could either please you. Glorify you. Identify us to be your people in the world we live in or break your heart. Bring shame to your name. God, I pray for the Spirit. He will powerfully move in our hearts, fill our hearts as we fill our hearts with your word. Things of your thing. Heavenly knowledge. As we do, Lord, each and every day, as we sin, we'll turn, we'll turn back to you with true, repentant, contrite heart. That is what you desire. God bless your people. Forgive them. Each and every day, will you restore them, revive them? We don't need Your blessing, we need you. We don't need your miracle, the wonder signs. We need you. Help us, help your people to understand it and cling on to you. God, there are so many things that we can be thankful for. Just being who you are to us this month of thanksgiving, Lord, pray that we would give thanks to you for your gracious forgiveness each and every day and your utter love that you shower upon us immediately when we turn to you. God, without you, where we will be, who we will be. Lord, we give thanks to you Pray that we would once again cling on to you and have the Lord truly captivate us, captivate our hearts each and every day. Lead us and guide us, Lord. Bless your people. May we always look to the cross and be grateful for what you have done and what you will continue to do. Father, we thank you so much. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.